please remain standing if you're able for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord from Acts 9, verses 1 through 22. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of it. We thank you for Ryan and the gifts you have given him. We thank you for the message you've given him today, and we pray that during this time, our hearts and our minds would be illuminated with the truth of your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. 
We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Hope y'all are doing well. Love to, love to mix it up. You probably never heard an Advent Christmas sermon from Acts chapter 9, have you? It's all right. It's all right. It's good. It's good. We're in a series called Light After Darkness. And in this series, we've been talking about what does it look like for the light of who Jesus is to come to the world, to come to our city, to come to our friendships, and to come to us individually. Today, I wanted to explore what it looks like when someone's life is absolutely wrecked in a good way and transformed by the grace of God. Our theme verse for this series has been Isaiah chapter 9-2, which says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. We are those people, church, in the darkness. Jesus is that light that is shown. And he's shown in such a way that's not general, but it's also very, it's very specific. I mean, Acts chapter nine, or Isaiah chapter 9 will go on to say this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Christ hasn't come generally into this world. He's coming to this world with precision, precision to ransom us as individuals. In fact, Jesus would say that he would lose nothing of what the Father would give him in John chapter 6. He's chose his people before the world was created, and now we sit in awe of his marvelous grace as he chooses to use us to extend his reign and rule in this world. And that's what Advent is all about. It's about this arrival of a new way to live as God's children. So the question that I want us to ask today is this. How does the Advent become our Advent? How does Christmas become more personal and less general? And I'm convinced that Advent becomes personal when the light of the world becomes the light of our world. When God saves someone, it's not by accident or some random choice. And what we see about our own journeys is this, church. As we look back on our own spiritual journeys, we see um, that our awareness of God's presence, even in and of our own lives and our own stories, moves from general to specific. We see, as we look back, we see the specific ways that God has been working and bringing light into the darkness of our lives, don't we? Because that is what Jesus came into the world to do. His love is precise and his will is always accomplished and he makes no mistakes. And theologically, the concept that we're exploring today is this concept called conversion. Conversion is what happens when Jesus becomes personal to us, when he becomes the source of life. So the question we're asking as we get into the word today is this, how does the advent become our advent? So I got three kind of points I want to make about Acts chapter 9 today, and it's this. The first thing that has to happen for the, the Advent to become our Advent is that there has to be a, a personal confrontation that stuns us. And then what follows is an astonishment that leads to a heart transformation, and thirdly, a new life mission and goal. 
So that's how the Advent becomes our Advent. Let's, let's dig in together uh, in Acts chapter 9. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip open to 1 through 7. I'm not going to reread every verse as Brandon's already read those for us. But I think the, the general concept that we've got to understand is this, is that it can be easy to bolt on Christianity to our lives. Like when you think that you're morally doing pretty well in life, that you're, you're kind of doing good things and that you're, 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 you're really a good person, it can be easy to just kind of bolt on this idea that you're a Christian. But what the Lord wants us to understand is this, is that Jesus came on our worst day, that none of us are doing well, and that he is the only way. In fact, Romans 5, chapter 8 says this, that while we were still sinning, while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinning, Christ came to us. God came to us in Christ Jesus shows up on our worst day, and he shows up to specifically and personally redeem you and I. And so what I want to look at in this story is how Jesus saved a really, really bad man that hurt a lot of God's people. His name is Saul, also known as Paul. His name is is changed in the Scripture, so if I say Saul, Paul, just work with me, you know. I'm, I'm trying to say the same thing. Um, but, but Saul is mentioned three times in the Bible before Acts chapter 9, and, and in every instance that he's mentioned, he's hurting God's people. Um, <clears throat> he, he, um, he is a leader in the Jewish community. He studied under this, like, rock star uh, Pharisee named Gamaliel, and he's on his way to becoming part of the, the, the Sanhedrin, kind of the Jewish Supreme Court. He's on the rise in the Jewish community. And, and, and uh, that's where we pick up in Acts 9, 1 through 7. So let me read just kind of the, the confrontation of Acts 9, 1 through 7 to help kind of give us our bearings here today. I'll start in verse 1. But Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And, and this language is like, Threats and murder, it's, it's like ferocious, ravaging kind of language, like wild beasts tearing one another apart kind of language. And, and he went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was the name of one of the, the, the phrases that described the church in the early days. If he found any Christians, uh, men or women, he might bring them back bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, so he's leaving Jerusalem, and he's, he's on the hunt for Christians, and suddenly this light from heaven shines around him, and he falls to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, listen to how personal this is, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responded and said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Did you listen to Luke's language? He's the guy that wrote the book of Acts here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Saul is absolutely an unbearable person. And now he has the authority to hunt down Christians and stamp them out of existence, basically. He's on the road up to this city called Damascus, and this incredibly light, bright light appears. In Acts 26, when he's retelling his story to, the, to King Agrippa, uh, he said it was brighter than the sun. It was a stunning brightness that appeared in his life. And immediately at this point, there's this confrontation between Jesus and Saul, and he gets personal, church, because he had he'd been brought 
to the place where each and every one of us has to be brought to where we are confronted with our sin. It is a holy confrontation. We have to be confronted with who we have become in order to be converted and saved by Jesus. If we never face who we have become, the life of Jesus will never fill our hearts. This is what is happening in Saul's life. In fact, it's, it's impossible for anyone to become a Christian without coming face to face with him or herself. If you haven't been confronted by God through his word or by his word through believers over our sin issues, there's no way we can become Christians. And if we're in that place this morning, Advent or Christmas will remain at a distance to us. It'll be about traditions and and family and all of the benefits of knowing Jesus, but not the real essence of knowing Jesus. Paul got to know Jesus personally. And, and I'll just say this, it's, it's in this confrontation, and some of us have had these big kind of Damascus Road confrontations. Others of us have these week in, week out confrontations with the Lord. And some of us are terrified to acknowledge that the Lord has been convicting and pursuing us in our sin. It's, it's tempting to get really terrified when the Lord confronts our sense of insecurity and our sinfulness, because we want to isolate ourselves and hide and hope that it will go away. But friends, when Jesus shows up in your sin, when he shows up on your worst day, like Saul, I mean, he is, he's a murderer and he's, he's planning to do more harm, right? There's no end in sight. When Jesus shows up, what he brings is good news. Jesus brings good news even though it feels like bad news in our confrontation. And it's, it's, it, it's, it seems like bad news because you feel in your flesh so weak and powerless and kind of hopeless. And, and church, you have to feel that way to be converted, to become a Christian. You have to get to the end of yourself. You have to be confronted face to face with the things that are keeping you from a relationship that has been brought to life by Jesus. God must first break you before he can build you. He has to knock you to the ground, arrest you, paralyze you in your flesh. And Paul came face to face with Jesus on this day. He came face to face with the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus whom he was trying to stamp out. He came face to face with God. It's personal for Jesus, but it's also personal for Saul. Jesus says, Saul, why are you hurting my people? Do you hear the, the comfort that we should feel? That Jesus sees what's happening to his church and he takes it personal. Do you know that? Whenever you're persecuted, whenever you're wounded, whenever you're suffering, it's personal for Jesus. He feels it. He knows you by name. And it's personal for Saul, Jesus knows Saul. He knows what is capable, what he's capable of in his heart. This collision of light is overcoming darkness in Saul's life, and this is what happens every time someone's saved. Becoming a Christian is not about doing something for God, but it's about God doing something in you. So much of our lives, we, 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 we think that we are the ones doing things for God. We can only ever do something 
out of good works or goodwill for God if he's first come and made us alive in Christ. That's the only way it happens. It's a one-way encounter, a collision that begins to knock the darkness out of Saul's heart. And Jesus calls out in redundancy to Saul, and, and he's not angry, church. He's tender. Do you imagine in the confrontation of your own life and your sin, do you imagine Jesus' call out to you to be angry, to be bitter, to be filled with rage, or to be tender? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. How does Jesus' voice sound to you in that confrontation of your own story? And Jesus kind of says to him, Saul, what are, what are you going after? What's the end game here? What longing in your soul is so unmet that it's leading to this type of erratic and crazy behavior? Because anytime, church, and this is just a side note, anytime this inconsistent behavior surface in our lives, it's almost always about some unfulfilled desire that just shows up in a place we didn't expect it, right? Because, you know, you know, Saul probably looks back, I'm guessing, and he, and he says, how could I have been so blind to not see what God was after in me and to not see his plan? Galatians 1 gives us some hints that Saul had based his life on the wrong thing. He, he based his life on knowing the law, using the law, and enforcing the law of God. The, the law for Saul was the, his way of making his mark on the world. We've got our own ways that we try to make our mark on the world. But listen to Galatians 1. And, and the, the, the thing I love about Saul is that he, or Paul, he never gets over the gospel. His story of conversion keeps showing up almost in every letter that he writes to churches. He can't get over it. He cannot believe that it's actually true, that it's actually happened. He is stunned by what's happened in his life. Galatians 1, 14 through 16 says this, as he's recounting his story, he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and he who called me by grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me. You hear him recounting the pursuit of God in his life, in the midst of his sin. That's the way conversion always happens. Is we're running away from God, and God meets us right in the middle of our journey away from him. Advent is personal for Saul, and Saul just can't get over it. A calling from Jesus, church, is always personal to us. He calls us by name. Do you know that? The same way that he calls Saul, he calls you by name. And he writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. And it's sealed and it's final when he calls you. And he calls us in different ways. Doesn't always look like this, but he calls us by name through this holy confrontation that stuns us by his grace. And, and church, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. God can and does save anyone. Amen? Anything is possible. Who you are and what you've done is plain to God. It might be hidden from all of us, but it is plain to God. When he calls you and he saves you through his word, how do you respond? How will you respond in the little C callings? 
How has Jesus been calling you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light today? Saul is now blind in this situation, right? His eyes can open, but he can't see anything. The light in the world is not translating to light in his world, right? His eyes are not functioning, and that's what happens. And it's, it becomes this kind of spiritual metaphor, this picture for Saul's life. All this time he thought he could see, but he was really blind. Church, that's a lot of people in the church. You know that, right? It's a lot of people in the church, a lot of people that think they see, but they're really blind. And it's only when Advent becomes personal that your eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit. So let's continue on this journey. So what happens after there's this confrontation where there's this astonishing transformation that begins to happen in Saul's life? And if, you, if you're converted in here today and you're a follower of Jesus, the same thing has happened in your life to one degree or another. I'll just say this. I can't really lean into all the stuff with Ananias. I'm really focusing on Saul's conversion, so sorry about that if you want me to lean in more. But I had to make some selections there. So this, this astonishing transformation is, is, is called conversion. And it, and it really is about this death to life experience because that's what happens um, when someone becomes a Christian. Every Christian has a death to life experience. There are no Christians that do not have this experience. It doesn't matter where you grew up, who your parents are, what kind of home you grew up in, how many days you have sat in church. Every Christian has this story. Everyone has this story of, I was dead, but now I'm alive because of Christ. That is the story of the church. Now, there will be different levels of intensity, different levels of awareness throughout our lives, but it is the baseline for every Christian. It's this born-again experience as Jesus explains it to Nicodemus in John 3. So what happens in Saul's life next is he's born again. The advent becomes his advent. The arrival of Jesus becomes the new life in him. Jesus gets personal. And uh, anytime someone is converted to faith in Jesus, there's, there's two things that have to happen. And I'm going to get a little technical here. But there's, there's this gospel call that's really this outer call. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of the Lord. And, and you can respond to that call, and that's good and great. But there's this, also this other spiritual dynamic that you really have no control over, okay? It's called what, what, what theologians call the effectual call. It's the moment that you actually become alive inside, that the Holy Spirit activates the truth of God to be a transformative force in your life. So it's, it's great to hear God's word. It's how God brings us to life, but the Spirit must quicken the heart and bring it to life. This is what is happening in Saul's life, is the two are kind of becoming together. He's hearing the word, from Ananias. He's hearing the word from Jesus. He's confronted by his sin, and the Spirit is being poured out on his life. And he's realizing that all these years he's been blind, even though he's been around God's people. But now he can finally see. It's bad news before it's good news for all of us. We all begin our journey blinded by sin, and Jesus says that we need him to save us. When we're in this place, when you're in this place where the, 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 the spirit hasn't quickened your heart, the gospels, it almost seems like bad news. It's like, why would I want to confess my sin? Why would I want to expose my weakness? Why would I want to admit how desperate that I am? The gospel isn't good news until the spirit brings you to life. 
And this is why Jesus didn't come into this world to primarily make us feel better about ourselves and our own, you know, self-help journeys. He didn't come into this world to primarily give us a a pick-me-up when we're down. He didn't come into this world to just give us a hand up when we're in a bad place. And we, we may experience him doing those things, but he primarily came into this world to take people from death to life. That's why we celebrate Christmas, church, is that we were dead and now we're alive. Everything else flows from that. And once we get stunned and astonished by this grace, this amazing collision of light knocking the darkness out of our hearts, what we become aware of is the same thing Saul becomes aware of, that God has been pursuing us much longer than we originally anticipated. Paul's so astonished that he was blind, yet so loved by God and used by God, that he can't get over the gospel, and it keeps showing up in the letters that he writes, like I said. In Acts 26, Saul is before King Agrippa, and he's sharing his testimony with him. And, and here's, what he, here's what he says about the experience. He expands this moment with Jesus. He says this, and when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, okay, that's key, in his own personal language. Remember, Jesus is always getting personal with us. He says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay, we've heard that part, but we didn't hear this part. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Kicking against the goads, that's not probably what we're going to put on our next church t-shirt or anything, but (laughs) New City Church, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Yeah, that's good. Um, It's an expression that farmers or shepherds or ranchers would use to talk about um, the process of getting an unruly animal uh, who wasn't doing what it was supposed to do to get it to where it was supposed to go. And so it's a little sharp stick that you would use. I think now they have like, I think they basically electrocute animals now. They kind of just, just and, they, and they get the, the unruly animals to go where they need to go, where they're supposed to go. And what, what Jesus is saying to Paul, and Paul is recounting it to King Agrippa, is that Jesus has been pursuing Paul his whole life because he called him by name before he was born, remember? The same thing he do, he's done to you. And Paul has been resisting the call of Jesus. I want you to take inventory of your life, no matter who you are, where you've come from, if you're a visitor, you live here in town, or you're from out of town. Is it possible that God has been pursuing you your whole life and you have been ignoring him most of the time? Is it possible that part of those, one of those benchmarks in your journey toward finding purpose and meaning and delight and satisfaction in this world is that Jesus wants to meet you today and make it personal. Is it possible that that is what God is up to today? Can you see his hand as you look back, church? Can you see his love showing up in the least expected ways and seasons and moments of your life? This is why he came, friends. Do you credit those moments of, that are significant in your story to chance or luck or maybe craftiness? I think I have that temptation too. But those are divine encounters where Jesus says, is it hard to kick against the goads, Ryan? Why are you resisting my love so much? 
But a Christian finally gets to the place where you can no longer do that anymore. You can't kick against the goads anymore because the goads finally get you. And the hound of heaven, as Charles Spurgeon used to call him, tracks you down and you see that the love of God will not let you go. That you cannot outrun God's grace. And that's when Advent gets personal. In Acts 9, 17 through 19, we see the moment for Paul. Some of you recall the moment in your own story. Some of you don't. Some of you haven't had the moment yet. It's okay. We see the moment for Paul that he realizes how personal Jesus is. Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on this murderer that persecuted his people, this murderer that is probably the reason that he lives in Damascus in the first place because of persecution, this murderer who he's terrified to be around, that he tries to finagle himself out of, this, this murderer who does not deserve God's grace. And he says to him, Brother Saul, Can you think of a more endearing greeting? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on that road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight physically and spiritually and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and he was baptized and he took food and he was strengthened and he spent time with his disciples that he had persecuted, that he had pushed out of Jerusalem with his threats and his murderous, ravaging heart and he fellowshiped with them. Church, that is the power of the gospel. That is what is possible in the gospel. Before Saul ever proves himself, before he ever writes a letter, before he ever preaches a sermon, before he ever plants a church, he is positioned as family. He is brother Saul before he does anything in God's kingdom. And this is how God greets each and every one of us in our conversion. We are positionally right before God before you do anything for God. There's no probationary period of living in God's kingdom where you kind of see if it's going to work out or not. Brother Saul from day one, and, and the church is having a hard time with it, we read. He's having a hard time because the gospel is that stunning that it's hard to believe when you see it take hold of someone's life. The other thing I just want to mention here is that Ananias is, he's struggling with this before he goes to Saul. And he's like, hey, I don't know if you've heard, but this guy's kind of a bad dude. And he's tempted to kind of categorize the darkness in Saul's life. The same way that you and I are tempted to, to categorize the darkness, you know? But we never see Jesus categorizing darkness, do we? Darkness is darkness to Jesus. Murderers, thieves, tax collectors, prostitutes, adulterers, liars, Jesus saves them all. And when we're in a place where our primary focus is on judging the degrees of darkness, what happens in our hearts is they become dim and they become hardened. 
and we become ineffective in God's kingdom because grace isn't astonishing to us anymore. And we're tempted to place qualifications on the apparent worthiness of someone's salvation that Jesus never places. And we end up giving up on people before Jesus does. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever given up on a type of Saul in your own life? If their heart is still beating, Jesus hasn't given up on them yet. We don't know the end of the story, but God calls us to remain faithful. Which leads us to our last point here. We have a new life mission. This is the last characteristic of the truly converted Christian, is that they're not Christian by name, but they're Christian in deed. They're Christian in mission. They haven't just bolted on the Christian label, but they're living it out. Here's what happens, and I think this is prescriptive for us in, in, in Saul's story. For some days, verse 19 says, he was with the disciples at Damascus. I would have loved to have been there to see that. <laughs> and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, guys, he is the son of God. I can't make this up. He's the son of God. And all who heard it were amazed and said, I'm pretty sure this is the guy that wreaked havoc in the church, right? This is the guy who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name. And he has not come here for that purpose, but to bring them bound before the chief priest. In other words, the whole reason he came to Damascus is because he was trying to drag us back down to Jerusalem. But Saul increased all the more in strength, and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. In other words, he switched sides on the legal team all of the sudden. Can you imagine what that would have been like to experience that, to see that type of genuine transformation in someone's life? Have you ever seen someone's life change in such a way? I have. I have. I've seen it in my own story. I've seen it in some of your stories. Watching it happen to my family right now, Light into darkness. It's unbelievable. Over and over again in the Bible, we see this thing happen with people that are converted. They can't help, they can't help but talk about Jesus. Before you're a Christian, we can't stop talking about ourselves, can we? But after we become believers, we can't stop talking about Jesus and what he's done. Because the reality is, is that we, we tend to talk about what we're taken with, don't we? We do, and it's okay. It's no, it's, I like to talk about the Braves too. It's good. It's been a good year, you know? But what do you talk about? Take inventory. What is your heart eager to declare? Jesus wants to make it personal with you. When someone is converted to the Christian faith, when the advent becomes their advent, there is a growing intensity toward realigning ourselves with God's mission. We start to make sacrifices that we never would have made before because we see the significance of the gospel being advanced in the world, of light coming into the darkness of this world, of the fame of Jesus permeating the face of the earth. 
When we think about these types of testimonies of Christians, sometimes light comes on like a 50,000 lumen spotlight, right? Just like in Saul's story. And other times, and maybe this is some of your stories, it turns on like a dimmer. And I just want to say this. Do not think that your story is any less significant if it's a dimmer switch story. Think about your house. I'm pretty sure you got lights on dimmers and you got floodlights outside and all of them serve a purpose to do what? To bring light into your house, right? In our stories, it's the same way. God needs all those types of lights in the church. And so do not let the apparent insignificance of your conversion sideline you from declaring the fame of Jesus and the transformation in your heart. Don't let the enemy do that in your story. The dimmer is just as important as the floodlight. It doesn't matter how the light in the world becomes your light, but that he does. And this new life mission that Jesus gives us is to share that God is personal and to share our own astonishment of his grace. And our new life mission is not to try to avoid needing Jesus less, you know, by sinning less. Of course, that will happen as we follow him. Or to beat yourself up because you've sinned and you're not as far along as you thought you were. Trust me, Jesus knows. But our new life mission is to allow ourselves to be astonished by God's grace and to declare it to the world. This is the true meaning of Advent. It's the true meaning of of Christmas, and Paul couldn't help but mention it over and over again. And I want to close with one of my favorite places that he mentions this transformative grace that he's received. And I want you to hear, church, how personal Jesus and the grace that he's received from him is. And I'm going to pray that he would be that personal for you. Listen to this from Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul says, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. In other words, the thing that he thought would actually give him life really showed him that he was dead through that confrontation that he had with Jesus. It showed him how dead he was, how dark his heart was that God came to save him from himself. The law does the same thing in our hearts, church. We realize that we could never get to God, that he has to come to us. And he, and he goes on to say this. Listen to how personal it is. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer Paul. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The advent has become my advent, he says. What you see, what you hear, it's not Paul, it's Christ. And he says, the life that I now live in this flesh suit, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, Paul says, and gave himself for me. Church, can you say the same thing about Jesus this morning? Is he that personal to you? Did the Son of God love you and give himself for you so that you could have life. Because that, my friends, is the meaning of Christmas. It's the meaning of Advent. Let's pray together. Father, 
I pray that we would be a people that as long as we journey with you, as much of your word that we might know, as much as we may find obedience along the path, as much as we might knock it out of the park, Lord, in our Christian faith, that we would never, ever get over the astonishing miracle of your grace that you've given to us so personally, Lord. My prayer, Lord, this morning is that for these friends that you know by name in this congregation this morning, that you would be personal, as personal as you were to the Apostle Paul this morning. Because there's no other way to be Christian than to know you at that kind of a level. So Father, this morning, would you use your your table, the sacrament of communion. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.